the Lamb of God, and you alone are worthy. Worthy to receive honor and majesty, glory, power, and dominion. They are all yours. Thank you so much that you have preserved us for the rest of this week. We can testify and attest to your greatness and your goodness in our lives. It is not because of ourselves. We know that your grace has been ever present with us and for that we say thank you. Say thank you, Father, for being a light when we were facing darkness. We say thank you that you've been our provider when we have needs. We say thank you that you've been our strength in our weakness. Say thank you so much that you have been able to give us soundness of mind that we can call you Abba, Father. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, the one who works in us and through us to conform us to the likeness of your dear Son. We thank you, Father God, for the many blessings you have blessed us as a local church. We marvel at your goodness towards us. We marvel at your greatness in preserving us. For that, Lord, we say, be exalted. We humble ourselves before you and we also realize and acknowledge our sin before you. We ask that you have mercy upon us. We desire that we would be a people that are walking in tune with you, but also that our minds are fixed on things above. But Lord, we confess this morning that in this week we have not fixed our minds on you. In this week, there have been times when we have fixed our minds on things of this age. In this week, there have been times when we've been going through motions and desiring things of this age, not of the age to come. Cleanse us therefore by your blood, for your word tells us that you are faithful and just to forgive us of every unrighteousness if we confess our sins before you. We thank you that there is, there is forgiveness before your throne of grace. We thank you that indeed, though there is no one righteous, not even one, although, Father God, there, there is none among us as who can say, he has no sin within him, for saying so, we deceive ourselves. We say thank you that you are faithful, you are just, forgive us of every unrighteousness. Lord, there are needs among us. Some of our brothers and our sisters are weak. We ask that your grace would be sufficient upon them. May your strength be perfected over them. Those, O oh God, who have financial needs, we would ask that you would meet them. Those of Father God who feel they are walking in the dry parched land, they have lost their zeal for God, they are focused for you, but also the desire to seek your face. Such brothers and sisters, we commend them into your mighty hands this morning. May you strengthen them in your graciousness. We thank you for the many brothers and sisters, not only in this church, but in the wider body of Christ. This morning we commend and lift up before you Beklu Baptist Church. We pray and we praise you, Father God, for the great work you have done in that church, that your word keeps on prevailing in that city. We say thank you so much that many are being transformed to the image of your dear son. We say thank you that indeed you are building your church, that the gates of hell are not able to prevail against it. 
We thank you so much for your manservant, Pastor Abrahams. We commend him into your mighty and capable hands even this morning. We would ask of you that you would strengthen him. Renew his strength as he waits on you. May he fix his eyes on you, Jesus. For you are the only one who is the author and the perfect of our faith. So we glorify you. We commend our missionaries of Father God, those who are close and those who are far. We ask that you would meet their needs. You would give them gospel opportunities that they'll be ambassadors whatsoever you have blessed them. Those who are being persecuted for the cause of the gospel, may they also be comforted by your grace and by your mercy. Even now as we come to your word, we would ask of you then that you would, O oh God Almighty, open our hearts. May we see the greatness and the mighty acts that you have prevailed and you have revealed in this world. May we also be astounded. May we be astonished at your magnificence and your majesty once again. So fix our minds on you. May everything that we are going through be found to be dim as we fix our gaze into your word once again. This we ask and we, we ask in the glorious name of our soon coming King, Jesus Christ. And may God's people say amen. Thank you very much. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms. And we are in Psalm 8. Rise on your feet as we read Psalm 8 together. To the choir master, according to the Gittis, a psalm of David. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your powers. To steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may have your seats. As we come to Psalm 8, it's a very famous psalm. You have, if you have been in the church for quite some time, you should know this psalm. It's a familiar psalm. But as we transition in the book of Psalms, we have moved from Psalm chapter 3 as it would through the dark valleys of lament and pleas of deliverance. That's what we see from Psalm 3 to Psalm 7. 
Now as we come to this psalm, we hear as it would the strains of joyful melody rising from beyond the steep hill represented by Psalm chapter 7. Coming then to Psalm chapter 8, then we arrive at the crest to discover a welcome prospect of breathtaking beauty and awesome delight. So David, as you would know in, in your inscription in the Bible, David is the one who pains this psalm. And David, in many ways, we would also say he recalls his times. He is a young man who has spent much of his life in the outskirts, in the night under the canopy of the Mediterranean skies. And it is known in that place that the skies are blue. And you are able to view the greatness, the grandeur, the majesty, the awesomeness of God's creation. Now, I want us, as we are going to look at the psalm, I've entitled my sermon, The Majesty of God. That God reveals His majesty. He reveals His majestic nature. He reveals His majestic name through creation. And David stands amazed. He's a young man, or as he would now, an eyewitness of God's awesome greatness and power. In particular, as we come to this psalm, you will see that the psalm begins with words, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, with an exclamation mark. It ends with the very same words, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It is a words, these are words of astonishment. These are words of a man who is astounded. These are words of a man who is excited. These are words of praise. David is not saying, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. That's not what he's saying. He has, as it would, stood on the rooftops and he's proclaiming, declaring the excellences of this great and awesome God. This passage opens and closes with the same statement of jubilation, excitement, praise, acclamation, amazement, wonder, and astonishment. That's what we see in this passage. And we're living in day and age, brothers and sisters, how relevant this passage is. This passage is so relevant to our time. Because we are living in times when those who uphold to the evolution theory, they insulting God. And this is what they are asserting. They are asserting that man is merely an intellectually advanced baboon. We somehow originate from monkeys. We are here by chance or by accident. We are just a hairless chimpanzee. Or as it will be called in scientific terms, we are just a bipedal amoeba. That's 
also some who think that that's what we are. We're here by chance. We're here by accident. No, someone, some chapter 8 presents to us, it's so clear that man is not just a glorified gorilla. That's not who man is. That the world we see around us, the cosmos, the order we see around us is not just here by chance, by a big bang theory. This psalm points us to the very fact of Genesis chapter 1 showing us that there is one who made the universe and there is one out of the whole universe, out of the greatness of the universe, there is one God who has made man to be the epitome, to be the very essence of his nature and being. So we will focus on this majesty of God. Turn with me and you see in verses 1. This majesty is declared in verses 1 and in verses 9. You see that. Let's look at verses 1 first and uncover that. How this majesty of God is declared. Remember these words. O Lord, our Lord. If you're using ESV or if you're using any other Bible, you would see that the very first words are written in uppercase. The others are written in lowercase. Or let's use in capital letters and in small letters. The psalmist there is not just trying to be fancy. Or he's not just trying to be grammatically right to say, I need to use caps here because it's the beginning of the sentence and I, use, I need to use the small letters because it's the second statement that I'm using. No, I want you to know there that the first Lord that the psalmist is using there is Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. We saw it last week when we were looking at Psalm 3. This is the covenant name of God. This is the name by which God revealed himself to Moses. In Exodus, this is the name by which God has re reveals himself to his own people. Those who are in a binding relationship with him. This is the name that speaks of intimacy. It speaks of closeness. It is like a child to his dad. What David is saying is, Oh Lord, Abba, how majestic is your name. There is a relationship between the man who is saying this and the God he is speaking to. So he uses that term Yahweh, or we can say Jehovah. The second one is our Lord. So he's all Lord that speaks of personal, but our Lord speaks of the corporate essence of this God. Lord used there is Adonai. Master. One who is in charge. And you will see how these two names are so connected to what precedes or to what the psalm is about to say. The psalmist is about to say, he is speaking of this Lord who has a close relationship, but yet is the master of all. 
so transcendent. Great softness. That's a God that the psalmist is speaking about. This is what you see, brothers and sisters, as you see in the scriptures. The gift of God's very name, Yahweh, to Israel in the Exodus event. It was an act of radical self-revelation by which God made himself known and accessible to the people he had taken as his own. And this is the God that we are talking about. And I want us to look at this because, yes, there is... There are those who are evolutionists out there who deny the existence of this God. But I want you to know this, that this very passage also applies to you and to me. If you are a Christian, that is. Because sometimes when we are going through afflictions in this life, this majestic God, to us sometimes it looks like maybe small. But he is a master. He is Lord. He has this close relationship with you. His majesty is declared by the psalmist. And this, is, this God is not the God who hides himself in laments. But he's a God who displays himself to be seen by his people. And in particular, as we are going to see in the psalm, even in his creation. He is the God who wills to be known in his majesty by human beings. He made us. It is mindful of us and we are going to say that. Hallelujah. So the word majesty, majesty that the psalmist used there. So this majesty declared how majestic is your name. The psalmist here is responding to the name of God as it is revealed in creation. And the psalmist here, he comes and he begins with this invocation of the Lord, Yahweh, and his names as his people and, and, and their master. The God who is so personal, God who is a master of his people, yet is also a master of all creation. That the Lord is his people's sovereign. That's what the psalmist is saying here. But above all else, what we see is God's name or reputation is majestic. He does not need me or you in order for him to be a God who is majestic. He is self-sufficient. The word majesty used here in Hebrew, it, 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 it carries the essence of one who has mighty ship, one who is a leader, one who is noble. And we see the common thread as it is coming down is one who, who is of impressive, one who is almost intimidating, one who is, is superlative. One who is all-powerful. That's the kind of God the psalmist is speaking about. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And stand and think about what the psalmist is saying this morning. This 
God, who has displayed his majesty, whose majesty is being declared, he has made it that his majesty is visible. It is on display to all else. And we're going to see this so that all men everywhere are without excuse. If you have eyes to see, you are able to see this glory. If you have the skin, the sun is able to shine on you and you are able to feel this glory. Think about this. If you and I are here this morning and are able to breathe in the air we are breathing. Have you ever thought that that's even an act of grace? Do you know that if we, right now, go just to one of the hospitals just down the road we will find some of our brothers and our sisters who are failing to breathe the oxygen that you and I are freely effortlessly breathing now you know why there's a majestic God who gives you breath in life he is powerful. He is impressive, superior. He is the highest of the highest class. He is in fact in a class by himself. No one can match him. He is one who speaks and it is done. He is the one who commands and it stands fast. He is the one with whom all things are possible. And with his whom who all his works he works all things after the counsel of his will. He's majestic. He doesn't have a cabinet to discuss with him on how to run the universe. He doesn't have counselors. He doesn't have any group of people who are able to counsel him because he is so superior. Turn with me to Isaiah 40 and listen to what Isaiah, God makes this argument. Isaiah chapter 40, we read verses 12, verse 15, verse 17, then verse 22 to 23. Listen to God making a defense for himself. It's not the prophet Isaiah who is making a defense for God. It's God making a defense for himself. Listen to what we hear there. How the Bible describes who he is. This majesty is declared. This majestic God is declared. Listen to this. He is the one who has, verses 12, he has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands and he made it out heavens with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in the measure and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance. Isaiah 40 verses 15, he is the kind of God with whom the nations are a drop of a bucket and they are counted as small dust of the, of the balance. With whom all nations before him are as nothing and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. Verse 17 says that. Verse 22, 23, we see who can, what kind of God he is. He is the one who sits upon the cycle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. 
He is the God who brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth as vanity. Isaiah 40 verse 23. That's a God we are talking about. And his glory, his majesty is in all the earth. The stage, the platform, the theater, if we may use those language, the canvas on which God is painting his majestic nature, on which this infinite, self-sufficient, eternal, immortal, invisible, all-wise, all-knowing, unchangeable, majestic, merciful, loving, holy, and God. He has revealed his majesty in all the earth. There is nowhere where you are going to go where his signature of majesty is not seen. You can deny it, but that does not delete it. You can argue about it, but that does not make it less glorious. This majesty is declared in all the earth. All the earth attests to this, and we're going to see that. But not only is this majesty declared, but secondly, we see that this majesty, this glory is also displayed. Look with me in verses 1b, going downwards. The psalmist says here, he says that, he says, you have set your glory above the earth. So we see here that God's majesty is displayed, displayed first and foremost in, this is one of the key components I'll, 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 we are going to examine. His majesty is displayed in two ways. First and foremost, in man's dignity over creation. And that's what we are going to see from 1b all the way to, to verses 5. Then you will see from verses 6 to the end that this glory is displayed in man's dominion over creation. Man being the epicenter of God's creation. David stands as he is here. We would assume that David is pondering and meditating upon Genesis 1 verse 28. And David comes and he, he looks at what God has made in Genesis chapter 1. You know days that, that in six days that God made everything that he had made. But on day number 6, God said on, in, in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26, he says, Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the things we have created. Of all the things that God had made. Of all the things that we see with our eyes. Of all those beautiful things that you are able to see. There is no creature which God has made that carries his image. This passage, brothers and sisters, point us to the dignity of man. Man is dignified in the eyes of the Holy God. And that dignity of man is seen in that he 
is the only creature that was created in the image of God. Now let's examine this, what the psalmist is saying here. It says, you have set your glory where? Above the heavens. That's what God is doing. Setting his glory. Setting his fame. His renown. Above the heavens. But what I want you to see here, that the glory that the Bible is speaking about here, it's not the glory that is intrinsic glory. What I mean by that is, what the psalmist is pointing us to is saying, creation is ascribing to the glory of God. The glory of God is revealed in two forms. The first one, the glory of God, the first one is glory that is ascribed to God. That's the first glory. This is the glory which His creatures labor to bring to Him. This is the glory that we are commanded in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29 to say, Give unto the Lord glory due unto His name. So there's glory ascribed to God. And what the psalmist is saying here, he is saying creation is ascribing glory to God. Not that he will be more glorious by creation, not that creation is adding anything to the glory of God. No. But everything that God has made gives glory to God. Remember what is the chief end of man, you and I? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Romans chapter 10. Remember these words? What does Paul say to us? Paul tells us, whether you eat or you drink, do everything for the glory of God. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. What does Paul tell us? Because we know that from him as the source, to him as the sustainer, and through him and to him are all things. He is the source, he is the sustainer, he is the consummator. He is the one that we have the chief goal. It is to him we give all the glory. That's glory ascribed to God. But secondly, what we see in the Bible, there's another element or in another essence of the glory. And that is the glory that God has in himself. And I want us to point on this one. I want you to know this, that glory is essential to the Godhead as light is to the sun. He is called the God of glory in Acts 7 verses 2. Glory is the sparkling jewel or the sparkling of the deity. It is so connatural to the Godhead that God cannot be without it apart from it. He cannot be God without his glory. I want you to know this, that God he is so passionate about his glory that he is so passionate that he says in his word, I will never share my glory with any man. He can share with us love. He can share with us goodness. He can share with us riches. He can give us spiritual blessings. He can give us grace. He can give us heaven. But his essential glory, he will not give to another. 
That's God's intrinsic glory. Such so a point that the creature's honor is not essential to his being. This is the God the psalmist presents us to. So mighty and powerful, all creation, stars, moon, and sun, they are all a signature to the fact that there is a glorious and a majestic God. Amen? Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 19. Listen, the heavens declares the glory of God. The skies above proclaim His handworks. How often do they do that? Psalm 19 verses 2. Day after day, they pull out speech. And night after night, they reveal knowledge. There is no speech, no, there is words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. And their words to the ends. Not only is this glory declared, but this glory, brothers and sisters, is displayed. God would have chosen to display this glory in some galaxies above the earth, which yes, he has. But he has decided to uniquely display this glory in the unlikely and the weakest of all creatures, if you want to put it, man. How does he do that? Read verses 2 with me. Out of the mouth of babies and nursing infants, you have established strength. That's what God is doing. Why? Why is God doing this? The psalmist says this. It gives the purpose close as to why is God doing this. He says, you have established strength because of your enemies. Those who think they are strong, self-dependent, self-reliant. You have done this so that you may steal the enemy and the avenger. So this glory, not only is it declared, but it is displayed in creation. Creation testifies of this glory and the epitome of creation, man. And we're going to come to that, but I want you to see this. Creation testifies to the glory of God. Yes, it does. Because we see in verses 3, when the psalmist is saying, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars, which you have set in place. And that word set in place, it's a word where we get the word, he has set everything in perfect order. That's why we get the word cosmos, because the Greek word cosmos simply means order. That's why we get the word cosmetics, ladies. Order on the face. So God has set everything in place, in its perfect place. He knows where the sun is. He knows where the moon is. He knows the galaxies. And I want to bug you just for a few minutes with some facts. 
It is known that a few hundred years ago, astronomers believed that there were only around 6,000 stars out there in the universe. But recently, astronomers now estimate that there are around 70,000 million, million, million stars in the visible universe. That means there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches and deserts of the earth. Read a book indescribable by Louis Giglio. You love it. Louis points out and he says like this. He says, astronomers also, they have discovered various stars that are heavier, that are denser, that are hotter and brighter than our human minds can even ever imagine. And I picked two of these. The brightest known star in the Milky Way is the star called Eta Karin. It's called NGC 3372. This star is 100 times more massive than the sun. And if the sun and Etakarin were at the same distance from the earth, listen to this fact, it would be 4 million times brighter than the sun. 4 million times brighter than the sun. There's a star out there that can do this. Another one. Astronomers found another star called neutron stars. Their density, neutron stars, they are 10 trillion times denser than steel. Their activity, some neutron stars spin at rates up to 600 times per second. Yet, the majesty, holy, and infinite God keeps all this in check. But with all these great galaxies, I want you to see this. This is where the psalmist is coming. He says, yes, I know there's a moon, there's a star, but the psalmist is amazed to this. What is man that you are mindful of him? Because then man becomes the epicenter, the, 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 he becomes the, the very conduit that God is going to display his glory. And I want you to notice the, the, the word man that the psalmist uses there. there. There are a number of Hebrew terms we can use for man. Terms uh, like, like Gabor, which means man in his majesty, man in his biggest, man in his toughest. No, but the psalmist chooses to use the word enos, which speaks of man in his weakest, man in his puniest, man in his weakling state. And the psalmist says, what is this weak creature before you that you are mindful of him? So we see then that the glory of God is displayed in man's dominion or dignity over creation. In comparison to all that God has made, man is dignified. God, we see here, firstly, he's mindful of man. Secondly, he cares for man. 
Those two facts must astonish you. Because if God is mindful of man, you might ask to say, to what extent is God mindful of man? Psalm 139. Listen to the psalmist's astonishment as he writes to us this mindfulness of God. Verses 1, he says, You have known me and you have searched me, O God. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my laying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. God is mindful of man. How mindful is he? In verses 11 he says, If I say surely darkness shall cover me and the light above me be night. Even darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness and light with you are the same. Verse 13 in the psalmist will say, You formed my inward parts. You needed me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my, my, my unformed substance. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Therefore, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully and my soul knows it. Amen. He's mindful of you. You see, that's why this passage refutes even the very essence of one going ahead and aborting unborn charge. That child is dignified in the eyes of the Lord. You see, this also undermines the very essence if we are trying to look down on one another because we are all made in the image of God. God has set his glory in this weakest of all weakest creatures called man. And not only is he displaying his glory, but his glory is being declared. I want you to know this, brothers and sisters, that God does not need man. He is self-sufficient. He is a creator. He is a sustainer. But as small as we are, God cares about you. The Bible says that he knows the stars in the sky by name. I want to zoom this home. He knows you too by name. The Bible also says he knows the grain of the sand of the seashores and he has counted them. The Bible also says this, how he cares about you. He knows the number of hair on your head. He cares for you. He who knows every star by name knows you by name and your name, child of God, is written in his palms. How majestic is your name? How, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He care for us. Of the vastness of the planets, he supplies our needs. He provides for us in season and out of season. He is mindful of us that even in our weaknesses, remember, you and I are not lovable before God. 
All men have sinned. All men have fallen short of the glory of God. How is he mindful of us? He's mindful of us that God himself, when he saw our mess, he stepped down, became a man, died a death you deserved, a death I deserved, was wounded for your transgressions, for my transgressions. How mindful is he about you? He's mindful of the sins you are committing. He's mindful of the deepest secrets of your heart. He's mindful of the joys of your heart. He's mindful of the sorrows of your hearts. Yet, he would care for you. There is nothing we face that he's not aware of. He's a great God. If he's keeping the cosmos in order, you think he's not going to keep our lives in order? So this majesty is displayed in, in man's glory or his dignity over creation. But lastly, let's look at man's dominion over creation. That God would, in his sovereignty, would place man. Listen to verses, verses 6. You have given man dominion over the works of your hands. How has God done this? You have put all things under his feet. Let me say what this passage is not teaching. This passage is not teaching us dominion theology. Name it and claim it. This is not what this passage is saying. This is a reflection of Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 28 in the garden of Eden God as he made man he gave man dominion and authority you know the story but it was not long when our forefathers the first man whom God gave dominion to messed up so man had this dominion that God gave to him to take charge over the things that God made but man messed up the first Adam, the first man messed up, but we have the second Adam, the second man, Jesus. And I want you to see from verse 6 all the way down, it speaks more and resounds even perfectly concerning Jesus. Man, that you are mindful of him, you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. Who is this man? This is not you and me. This is none other than Jesus. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 24 to 28. Then comes the end when he delivers kingdoms of, to God the Father. After destroying every ruin of all it is speaking of Jesus. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 15. For he must reign until he put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God, verse 27, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. This is Jesus. The second Adam, who perfectly came, who perfectly came and obeyed God. Hebrews 2, verses 5, all the way to verses 9. Listen, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking it was, it has been testified. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? 
Verse 7, you made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. The explanation of the author of Hebrews, he will say this in Hebrews 2. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything yet in subjection to him. When are we going to see this? Verses 9 of Hebrews 2. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor because of the sufferings of death. So that by the grace of God, he may taste death for everyone. So then, in conclusion, brothers and sisters. It is only in Christ we're able to see this. Christ is coming again Amen. to establish his kingdom. His majesty, his dominion, his power is going to be revealed and all men will see and all men will tremble before him. It is him whom the psalmist is looking to. David is speaking of the greater David. And it is this one who is king of kings, lord of lords, it is him we can declare then in verses 9, O Lord, our Lord, because he is the Lord of Lords. How majestic is his name in all the earth. Acts 4 verses 12, for salvation is found in no other name, for there is no other name given among men by which we might be saved. What is the name that has been given to men by which we might be saved? Only the name of Jesus. Come to this name, Christian. This name is a strong tower where we run unto it and we find the safety that we need. This is the name. Some may trust in chariots, some may trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. This is the name we can trust, not in our own works. And if you're here this morning and you have not yet come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to plead with you this morning. The Lord is mindful of you. He's mindful of your spiritual states. He's mindful that you are dead in sin and in your trespasses. The Lord is mindful of your cardiological condition, the state of your heart. He's mindful that your heart is desperately wicked beyond cure. God is mindful of you. Yet, in His grace and in His mercy, because He is mindful of you, He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, to extend to you and me eternal life. Christian, therefore, don't worry, for you are worth more than a sparrow. He will provide for you if you have needs. Remember what Peter says, cast all your burdens upon Him, for He cares for you. Those are the implications. We can trust Him at all times without being moved. But to those who refuse to acknowledge Him, even those who deny as God has displayed His glory over the earth through creation, God promises to execute vengeance on them. But it is an act of grace that you and I could even sit together this morning and look at this great and awesome God. See his glory declared. See his glory displayed 
in man's dominion over creation. See his glory displayed in man's dignity over creation. That's who you are. This does not put you on the spot. The earth does not revolve around you. The earth revolves around him. Everything is for his glory. So let's go out there and live our lives for his glory. If we are facing challenges in our marriages, in our families, whatever it might be, let's fix our eyes on this great and mighty God. Because there's no problem too hard for him to solve. If we come to him, if we humbly submit ourselves to him, he is mindful of us, child of God, that he has given us the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk this holy life in this age. Shall we bow our heads and we pray together? Our Lord and our Father, we, we are so thankful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Father, that you are mindful of this brother of mine. Fix our eyes once again on your greatness, on your majesty. The sin that so easily ensnares, oh Father God, may it cause us to forsake it, that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, may you cause us to run this race with perseverance for he who has promised is faithful for you have begun a good work in us and you are able to accomplish it to the end so we lift our eyes on you we know that our help comes from you thank you that you know our fears you know our anxieties you know the uncertainties of our lives, O oh God. Yet you care for us. Pray then, O oh God, as well for those who do not know you. Those who think they have to work their way to you. May they cast themselves on you, infinite, glorious God. That together we may sing with excitement, with joy, with jubilance. Saying, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So fill the earth with the knowledge of your glory as the water covers the ocean and the sea. We desire to see that even in our time. Through Jesus, our master and our king, we pray this morning in the God's people. Say amen. Folks, won't you stand with us as we sing closing hymn? We truly have a, an awesome God. Um, and, and, it, and, and, and in this God, we, we would totally seek our refuge. Um, this is where, to Him, we would run. And, uh, and even in this, this song that we're going to be singing now, uh, Rock of Ages, um, that would be where we would seek to, to find ourselves, to hide ourselves in Him. So join us as we sing together.
benediction is taken from the book of First Chronicles. We going to look at First Chronicles 16, verse 28. Ascribe, verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord, all families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Join us for a cup of tea and coffee. And members, please don't forget we have members meeting. Um,